0: Jesus, thank You. Please help us to bow our hearts to You right now. and Open up our eyes and our ears, our hearts to receive Your message. And I pray that it would be clear, that it would be accurate, that it would be from You, and that You would use us. Use us to to spread the message you've given us. Thank you. I love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. God is such an awesome gift giver. Um, Probably one of the greatest gifts I've experienced lately is this morning. uh, My brother, Tito, is here. And... uh, he told me he was coming. I hear that from a lot of people, but, uh, he came. And, uh, it's hard for me right now because I, I want to cry. I love you. It's so good. That pushed me over the top. (laughs) It's over. Let's go pray. Let's go. We're done. This sermon, um, the opportunity to speak this morning also has been super timely um, because I get to say thank you to all of you. Um, As many of you know, um, about a month, I don't know, a month and a half ago, um, Naomi had surgery and um, it's been a rough road. And um, through adverse side effects, through um, just everything that goes along with recovering from a surgery anyways and the different things that go on with having a family and everything that goes on, you all have been there um, to support us um, through meals. I mean, we still received meals this last week. <laughs> some of you brought more than one. Um, there are some of you that spent the night at our house so that I could get rest, um, I came home one day from work, and uh, Rebecca was mopping our floors. Um, Phone calls to pray, what to pray for. Um, You have given, and over and over again. And though you gave your time, and financially some, and sometimes that's hard to do a little bit, I received it. As a blessing. You guys were definitely blessing us. And you received that also. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, It was hard at different times especially. And then through you, um, knowing that God is good. God provides. And uh, that's what it's like to be part of the body of Christ. It's what we want others to experience. That love, the genuineness. We're a small group of people, but boy, there's a lot of love here. You know, He came into our lives, changed the heart of stone, gave us a heart of flesh. We once were dead in our sins and our trespasses. He came in and saved us. We were dead. Dead just like Lazarus, dead. And then God opened up our eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ came in and gave us something satisfying. More satisfying than anything else. There's nothing that compares knowing Jesus Christ. No trip to Disneyland. No trip to Europe. No high from a drug. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that is as good as knowing Jesus Christ. If you have... God working in you in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're a living witness of that. Even when you're going through hard times, persecution of different sorts, uh, chronic pain, you who have the Holy Spirit in you, who are part of the family of Christ, can attest to what I'm saying to be true. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's never done that. He'll always provide for us. He's never lied. He's never steered us astray. Nor will He. And that's why we can't keep this message in. Hide it under a bush. Oh no! (laughs) We're going to let it shine. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through Him. If you truly know Jesus, you can't hide this message from others you're compelled by the Holy Spirit within you to share this message. It's like we have a river of life flowing through us. You can't dam it. And if you try to dam it, the water's just going to go crushing over this dam. It's within us. The Holy Spirit's in us. Whatever consumes us is evident by what comes out of our mouths. Remember Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Today's sermon is about evangelism. And evangelism is not meant to be mechanical. Okay. If you love the Gospel, you're going to share it. You'll be so compelled by the love of God that you've experienced and are experiencing that you want to tell the whole world about Jesus. That's just the truth. This is by God's design. If you can imagine it, the Almighty God has chosen Put Himself, the Holy Spirit, inside of each one of us who are His, and then compel us to relay this message to the world around us. It's an amazing thing. So we use the term gospel often. That's that's the message, that's the central message of Scripture that we're supposed to be relaying to people. What is the gospel? It's all over Scripture. I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence. But the truth is that there's people that have grown up in the church their whole life and don't know how to answer that question. A couple years ago, I was talking to a friend from Bible school, and he was telling me that he was approached by a group of college-age students um, that told him that they were praying, and they felt like God revealed to them a picture of a guy with a black shirt and a backpack that needed to be ministered to. So they went up to my friend, because, of course, he fit that description, and he's a Christian. And they said, you know, we feel like God's leading us um, to minister to you. And uh, what do you need prayer for? And he didn't have anything in mind specifically or whatever, but um, he was thinking in his mind, I wonder if they know how to give the gospel message. I wonder if they could tell me that. So he's, he lied to them. <laughs> he made up a story. He says, I have a knife in my backpack, and I'm feeling suicidal, and I want to kill myself. Can you help me? And well, they immediately started praying, God, we, we, we just asked that, that the backpack would fall off his back, that if he picks up the knife, that the knife would just fall out of his hand. And he's like, I, I don't have any hope. Well, what, do you have something that, that, that can help me? And they just continued praying, God, God, we just pray that that, that backpack would fall off him, that, that he wouldn't be able to pick up the knife. And he's saddened by it. He's like, can you tell me what the gospel is? They looked at him they didn't know what to say it's a travesty that there's people that are bold bold christians that are hitting the streets to minister to others they want to share god's love and they don't know what the gospel message is so what is the gospel the gospel means good news and we get a glimpse of it all the way back at the beginning of mankind when we sin. And in a nutshell, if, if I was going to give you a short Allen version, so you've got to test this because sometimes I'm wrong, but I think this is right. If I was to give you a quick summary of the gospel message, it is that we're all sinners, we deserve to go to hell, but God is so great and so loving and so merciful that by His grace, as long as we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, He will save us and forgive us our sins and we can live to Him and one day be forever in heaven with Him. And we see this message all the way back at the beginning of Scripture in Genesis, in the Proto-Evangelium. I've been waiting so long to say that term. (laughs) You already know. Proto-Evangelium. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Okay. I don't have a good memory. Everyone that, I don't have to tell you that. Everybody knows that. Um, That's why I use the same illustrations every week. Um, But out of all the different terms that I was probably taught in theology class, that's one that stuck with me, Proto-Evangelium. And basically it's the first gospel. It's kind of what it refers to, the first gospel. And we see it back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Okay, And I'm not going to go into everything surrounding that verse. I'm just going to draw a lot of conclusions out of it. So if you want to see if I'm right or not, or you want to study it, or see what everyone argued about about it, go back and do it yourself. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is God talking to Satan Okay, after the fall. Adam and Eve had just sinned. The first two people that, ever, that God ever made. And this is what God says to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's big. That's that's huge right there. Okay, so enmity. God is going to put enmity between Satan and woman and her offspring. Enmity is basically hatred and hostility. So because of sin, there's a hatred and a hostility going on. Satan is going to be attacking that way. But here's good news right here. It says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's better just to have your heel bruised than your head bruised. And what's going on here is it says, Satan shall bruise his. His is Jesus. Satan is going to bruise Jesus' head. And we see that clearly by... The fact that Jesus died on the cross. And He went through all that suffering. But we also know that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose victorious. He crushed death. And that's where we get the picture of He, Jesus, shall bruise your head. You see the importance of this? The Proto-Evangelium? Right after the first sin... God is showing us a glimpse of hope that He's going to forgive us. His plan from the beginning of time. We don't deserve it. And then now, we're on this side of what's happened with the cross and we see the totality, we see the big picture of the Gospel, clearly. So let's look at the Roman road. It's in the back of your bulletins. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. We're under this curse. We were born into it. We deserve hell, as it says in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His love in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And in Romans ten nine and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God was raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And with your mouth, you confess and are saved. It's going to come out of the mouth because there's been something that's changed within our hearts. So we're talking about the river of life. Can't keep it in. There's been a dethroning. She doesn't like this mic. I like it. Um, so there's been a dethroning. Before we knew Christ, we were living for who? Ourselves. Jesus came in to show the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And He dethroned us. Thank God He dethroned us, because if He didn't do that, we'd be going to hell. We don't experience Him. We don't know Him in this life. And so He's come into our life, He has changed us, and now He's on the throne of our life. And that's something that I'm going over for a while there, because a lot of us are used to growing up in churches where at the end of the service, we have the altar call, right? It's a good thing. We have the altar call, and we, we present the gospel message, and then we want people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus, and we say, Do you want to know Jesus? And someone there has, has God working in their heart. Yeah. And so, well, let's pray together. And so they will repeat the sinner's prayer. And positionally, they might have become a Christian after saying it. I mean, it's the same thing when we go to big events or whatever, or what have you, when we're witnessing on the street. We, we we get to that point, I hope they say this prayer with me. But we can mis, um, misguide people to think sometimes that they've reached the finish line. It's over. You've made it. But that's not the truth. The truth is, you're now a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You were purchased, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body, you have a whole life ahead of you to live for Jesus. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. So it's more than just saying it. It is a belief. It is a new um, identity that we have in Christ. So this is the good news that we are to proclaim to the whole world. Everyone. Not just Someone that's gifted in evangelism. Not just someone that's a, a pastor or an elder or a deacon. But all of us are. We see this in the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is telling His disciples this as He's departing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age hasn't come yet, right? Until Jesus returns. That clearly includes us. Now, we're waiting. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, of all groups. Spreading the Gospel message. And then we see this also in Acts chapter 8. Um, while the Christians were undergoing persecution, they were dispersed throughout Judea and Samaria. It says this in verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And then in the same passage, it goes on to talk about Philip, who's a non elder, right? And he went about proclaiming the gospel and people coming to know Christ. So, in recap, we see, we're reminded what the gospel message is. We see that we were saved. By believing in Christ. He dethroned us and He's seated on the throne. It's such a great thing. We're satisfied with Christ. It changes everything about our lives. And so God has called us to go and evangelize everywhere. I want to finish this sermon, the whole second half, with encouraging you in your evangelism to know that you have a different role than God has when it comes to evangelism there's a quote that i have tucked away in my bible by uh, the reformer martin luther that says this now if i'm ignorant of god's works and power i am ignorant of god himself and if i do not know god i cannot worship praise give thanks or serve him for i don't know how much i should attribute to myself and how much to him We need, therefore, to have in mind a clear-cut distinction between God's power and ours and God's work and ours if we would live a godly life. God's role in salvation is different than our role in salvation. Our role, when it comes to evangelism, is to relay the gospel message in its entirety. However, our desire to spread the message And the effectiveness of the message, the confession that comes from the person, the growth that happens, is controlled by God. That's something that God does. And this is great news because we know that we're going to be victorious when we present the gospel to the non-believer. Because God is using us as His instrument to work salvation in the lives of His elect. Now, you could, at this point, be scratching your head and wondering, what exactly, Alan, are you trying to relay to us by telling us this? So what I'm basically saying is that God is sovereign over salvation, and because God is sovereign over salvation, we can have complete confidence that when we share the gospel with non-believers, the message will accomplish God's purpose. We don't have to fret if our non-Christian friend doesn't seem to be accepting our message. We don't have to worry worry whether our church service is hip, if the music style is in sync with the times, if we're presenting the gospel in such a way that is culturally relevant or non-offensive. Style and smooth delivery of the gospel do not affect salvation. God affects salvation. Salvation through the accurate delivery of the Gospel, which you and I present. It's an amazing thing. God stirs in our hearts through the Holy Spirit to share the treasure that we have, which is the Gospel, to non-believers which are dead. Spiritually dead. And when the Gospel is explained to the spiritually dead person, if the person has been chosen by God, for the foundation of the world were laid. As explained in Ephesians chapter 1, the word of God goes into the person like a seed going into fertile soil, and God causes the growth. We can imply Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 here. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. This is where we gain our confidence. Knowing that if we're faithful in preaching this message, it's going to accomplish God's will. We can also... Get confidence in knowing uh, Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11 says this For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so, this is God talking, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Our message is powerful because it's from God. And God's word will not return void. It will accomplish God's will. Now you might be thinking, man, two weeks in a row we're focusing on God's sovereignty. Pastor Bob preached on uh, prayer last Sunday, and he focused on God's sovereignty. But understanding God's role in evangelism, gives us boldness and patience and a reliance on prayer because in essence, we're acknowledging that God is the one in control. We understand that the power comes from Him which makes us completely dependent upon Him. This is a good thing, but it's hard for us to understand as as Pastor Bob mentioned last week. We have a lot of questions. If God's in complete control then why do we evangelize? Why tell anyone about Christ if God has already chosen who will be saved? What difference does it make what we do? What about free will? How are we held accountable for sins if God is in control? I have a very rational answer in one word to all of those questions. I've been saying it wrong the whole time. I had to go on Google and make sure I said it right. Antinomy. That's the correct way. I kept saying antinomy. Right? That answers everything. Antinomy. If you're like me, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> antinomy is basically having two truths that we don't understand their relation to one another. Like light. Light. Light has weight is made up of waves and particles. Jesus is 100 percent God and 100 percent man. God is 100 percent sovereign over salvation, and we are 100 percent held justly, justly, accountable for accepting or rejecting the gospel. No one who was chosen by God before the foundations of the world will die without becoming a Christian, acknowledging it with their lips. God will send a messenger to that person with the gospel message. They will hear it, and they will accept it, and they will become a Christian. Why did you accept the gospel message? Are you any better than the person who didn't? What about you, smarter, more intellectual? What about your sinful nature is any different than their sinful nature? Nothing. There is absolutely nothing apart from Christ in us that is any better or any different than the person that does not have the Holy Spirit living within them. And we know from Romans chapter 3 what our sinful nature looks like. It's horrible. Nothing in us wants what is good. We want to just give God the middle finger all day long and run off the cliff the other way. But by God's grace, in His love for us, He put our arms, His arms around us and save some of us. Sorry. There's nothing that you about you and I that is good when it comes to our own natures. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. Naturally, we reject God, but He chose to give us to give His children fertile soil. You remember um, when Jesus explained the reason why He spoke in parables? to his disciples back in Matthew chapter 13. The disciples, why why is it that you that you talk in parables? And Jesus says, to you it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And he goes on to explain that even though they have ears to hear, they can't really hear the message that I'm giving them. No, they have eyes. Their eyes aren't seen. Clearly what's being said here is there are some people who have been given ears to hear and eyes to see, and there are some people that haven't. And then he goes on in the same chapter to explain the parable of the sower. And he explains that the Word of God is like a seed that either takes root in someone's heart and grows or the seed does not take root and it does not grow. And of course the person we want to be is the person that has fertile soil, that hears the word of God and the seed goes into us and we hear it and we grow. Okay. So where does our fertile soil come from? I try often on my own, on my own, To do the right thing. And every time, it leads to destruction. I can't do it. I cannot live a righteous life on my own. It's like Romans chapter 7 when Paul's talking about everything that's going on with him there. He blames his sinful nature as his nemesis. Paul tries so hard to do what is right, but sin is always bringing him down. In verse 24 he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why we see Paul's always ascribing the effectiveness of his ministry to grace. Everywhere he goes, he's talking about grace. He begins and he ends all the books in the New Testament with, by the grace of God, thanks be to His glorious grace. He says that his effectiveness in obeying God, in um, evangelizing Everything he attributes to God by God's grace and His mercy. He's effective. This message that I'm preaching to you right now when it comes to salvation and God's sovereignty is meant to make us scratch our heads. We don't understand it perfectly because we are finite. God is infinite. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. And we are completely dependent. Yet our actions and our decisions have real meaning. We don't completely understand and we aren't supposed to because God wants us to keep coming to Him. To rely on Him. Tell me this. Has God ever lied to you? Have you ever found anywhere in the Bible that's a lie? not to be true. In fact, I venture to say it's probably just the opposite. I know that's true for me. Every time I take the reins, I start walking towards the cliff and by God's grace, He always puts His arm around and brings me back. And when the anxieties of life start to bellow, and I start to worry and I start to fret, He reminds me, be still and know that I am God. Antinomy. (laughs) It helps us accept and understand God's sovereignty and salvation because we can rest in our trusting in God knowing that He is good. Now the last thing I want to do is create a division in our church because God's sovereignty as it relates to salvation has been debated and caused many church divisions and heartache and everything. I started this sermon with talking about the love that we have in our church. Okay, We are not saved based on understanding that theological concept perfectly. Okay, The reason why I chose... To spend so much time looking at it this morning is because I believe that is biblical. And then I also believe that it encourages us to be bold and patient and prayerful when it comes to evangelism. We can love each other and disagree. We can't disagree about the gospel but we can disagree about some different theological concepts and still come together and worship together and build each other up and live for Christ. But I have to preach what I feel like is in Scripture and what I think is biblical. So I want to conclude this morning with just making a few mentions about why it's encouraging to know about God's sovereignty and salvation in an evangelism by highlighting the boldness Aspect of it, the patience aspect of it, and prayer. Boldness. We've gone over this over and over again, but let's mention it again. God's sovereignty and salvation should embolden us to preach the gospel because by God's grace we speak the gospel, and by God's grace the message falls on fertile soil, and He causes it to grow. We speak knowing His word won't return void, and every bit of the truth that flows from our mouth will accomplish God's purpose. Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 are exciting verses about, and they should give us boldness because it amplifies God's power in everything that, that, that we do when we're relaying the gospel message. It says this, So I am eager, this is Paul talking, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Another powerful couple verses. Acts 1, 7 and 8. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. We hear this all the time. God's sovereign. He's in control. He's good. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. Your power is the Holy Spirit in you. Bold and courageous. Preach the word in season and out of season. It's a gift. Patience. Here's the one that stabs me right in the heart. I like to go out and talk to people and share the gospel message with them, and then I want to see immediate results. I just told you this. Just say this prayer. And everything will be great. I thank God He doesn't work with me that way because you would think I should be a lot different by now. I said the sinner's prayer with my dad when I was seven. I know, shocking. Not so so much further along. But Yeah, that's how we are just in general. We want to see results. We have microwaves. We have commercials that tell us things now now. Everything's now. But if God's sovereign over it, if He's the one that causes it to grow, just obey Him. Relay the message. And then let God, let God, like you're going to let God, let God do the rest. Trust that God will do the rest. Have confidence that God will do everything in His time. He does everything in the perfect time. And here's another bit of truth. You think about it. Jesus was walking along with His disciples for over two years before He asked them point blank, who do you say that I am? He was molding them. He was working on them. At the right time, they confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then what happened right after that? Tying into what we already talked about. He says, yes, you're right, because uh, the Father in Heaven has revealed this to you. Not man. The Father in Heaven did. And then he says, and by the way, there's a cost. There's a cost to following me. You're to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me daily. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through hardships, But lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? He presented the whole Gospel right there. Don't be afraid. Don't think that you have to lead some, someone along Get them to say the prayer. They'll eventually hear the rest of it. Be bold. Preach it in love. We hate switch and bait stuff, right? Bait and switch. Yeah, bait and switch. Say things backwards. Yeah. Well, you didn't tell me this. The whole message is loving. It's a good thing to say you're going to need to deny yourself and follow God with all your heart. We just we just found out that it's, it's horrible to live our own life. Preach the whole thing. Don't be afraid. Let them know there's a cost. The Holy Spirit's working in them to receive that message. And if you, and if the Holy Spirit's working in that person, the person's hearing that saying, "This is good. This food is good," because God is showing them that is good because it's His words. Patience helps us to um, pace with someone and come along with them as, as, as they're growing. At different times we can relay different parts of the truth and, and God's working it all together. You know, Each one of us, like we, we come and know someone, or, or, or maybe we re- relay the gospel with someone, and we get the opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer with them. That's awesome, but it's possible that God has been using other people in the family, with different gifts, in different ways. You don't have to go around and be this mouthpiece that, oh, I have to figure out some way to be gifted with evangelism. God's given you a different gift, maybe. gift of mercy, different things. There's different ways that you're speaking and God is using those as seeds. Every bit of the Word of God is a seed. As long as it's the truth, going into the person, showing him love. And finally, Prayer. Prayer is beautiful because we can actually speak and hear from God through prayer. We're talking to God. We're going directly to Him. And we're praying, God, save. You know, there's lots of times where God is just, He, He has everything at His fingertips. He knows every bit, hair on our head, He knows the number. Pastor Bob talked about that last Sunday. Lots of times he's waiting to hear from us. He wants us to come to him and ask, God, give me more grace. Would you save more people? Would you make me effective in relaying your message? God says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. So often we just don't. We don't pray. We don't knock. We don't ask. Prayer makes obvious that even if um, some of us might not agree theologically in uh, sovereignty of God and salvation. That even if we might say we don't agree with that completely, when it comes to prayer, it sure seems like we do. Think about it. All of us in here, if we know Christ, we, we've had different people where, where our heart inside has said, I, I, I hope they come to know God. And so we start praying. God, would you... Would you give me a message to give them? And then he gives you a message to give them. God, would you bring them to church? They Come to church. God, would you give the preacher a good, clear message for them to hear? God gives a good, clear message for them to hear. Well, then what do you pray? You're done? Well, God, you've done all that you can do. The rest is up to them. Nobody prays that way. Nobody does. We pray, God, save them. Save these people. These people are hurting and they're dead outside. They don't have, they're enslaved to drugs. They're enslaved to all these different things. God, would you save them? He doesn't need us to tell him the order of which he needs to do it. He says, I give you the boldness, I give you the message. You have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to well it up inside of you. You're just going to go out. With confidence in the power that comes from me. And I'll do, it all, I'll do all the rest. A common question that people ask um, when it comes to this is, what about that guy that's out there on the island? <laughs> right? They don't know who Jesus is. How are they going to find out who Jesus is? I got another really good answer for this one. He's going to dispatch, God is going to dispatch a missionary to go and tell them who Jesus is. If that person has been chosen by God before the foundations of the world to be saved. It's not a far fetched answer. We believe all these other miracles in the Bible. We believe this is the word not this, but we believe this is the word of God written by man. We we spend every Sunday coming to church, worshiping God. We tell other people about God. A lot of them look at us and think we're crazy. We put all the stake in this. Why is that a hard thing to believe? God created the world and us out of nothing. We believe that. We believe that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. We believe that He came in as a form of a baby. We believe that Moses talked to God and God was a burning bush as He's speaking to him. And the bush wasn't burning, but it was burning. David killed Goliath. No, I can't accept the fact that God is going to actually send a missionary to go... Go give a a message to someone that's way out in the middle of nowhere and doesn't even speak English. That does it all the time. Romans 10 But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God sends us out to preach the good news. And He guides us and directs us every step of the way. The last two things are just two examples of God guiding and directing His people where to go, when to preach the gospel, Along the way, we get it out of Acts. Acts chapter 8 made mention of it earlier, talking about Philip. Okay, so Philip is directed by an angel to go a certain route along a road. And when he goes along the road, he finds an Ethiopian sitting in his chariot along the side of the road reading the book of Isaiah. And so Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And then the guy says, well, how am I supposed to? It doesn't make any sense. And so Philip says, well, that message that you're reading is about Jesus. And he tells him the Gospel message. The Ethiopian receives Christ and is immediately baptized. God directed that path. We have another picture of it when the Apostle Paul goes to Athens in Acts chapter 17. says that Um, provoked by the Spirit, Paul was led to go here. And as he's there in Athens, he sees all these different altars. Each of the altars was attributed to a different God that they worshipped. You Remember what one of them had inscribed on it? The altar of the unknown God. Paul says, let me tell you who that is. And he tells them the Gospel message. In the Holy Spirit takes seed out of Paul's mouth. The seed falls on fertile soil. And they say, Wow. Except Christ, many of them, and are saved. And they live to Him. God has called us to preach the gospel to the lost world so that people would be saved. Okay? Pray. Pray for boldness. Pray for patience, trusting that God is going to use you to reach people. I would hope that our whole church would be filled with people that are outside of these these doors. We have so many more Hispanic people that have come from Mexico here. We don't have too many in here. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we're not, we don't have to have the perfect number, but boy, it would be awesome if every single race, if every single person in the country that's around here was, was, was here, and we're worshiping together. This is a powerful verse to close with, and this is what we're closing with. Matthew 9, 37-38 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest. Pray. Go. Reach. Don't judge. Remember who you are and how you were saved. And see what God will do here in Humboldt County or other places, maybe Crescent City. Let's pray. Let's have communion together. Heavenly Father, I, I hope that You were pleased um, with the message. And Lord, I, I ask that You would make us, uh, make us people in love with You. And I pray, God, that You would uh, bring about revival. that You would bring thousands and thousands to saving faith here in Humboldt County. And we think of Iran. We think of North Korea. We think of missionaries going to those places. Or China. Or all over the world. Places that are hard. Scary to go to. Please use us. Use us. Help us to yield to You. And I pray that every aspect of our life would reflect a love for You. In Your name, Amen. Love brings us us to the table, brings us um, as one family um, with Christ, Christ as the head. You can picture the disciples being around that table together, and for the first time, um, Jesus breaking bread and sharing um, the wine for the symbolic um, picture of his blood and his body being poured out. And I can't imagine one day uh, we're all going to be held together with him at the table. I don't know what we're going to do exactly. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. But we, need to, we need to be reminded of this all the time. That's why we do this every Sunday. He says, whenever you meet, remember me. Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. bread. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me."